Welcome to the Crossroad International Church Podcast. We're so glad you joined us. It is our prayer that God will use this message to bring comfort to those who are hurting, give hope to those who find themselves in what seems to be a hopeless situation, and to encourage the one who is struggling through a difficult season of life. For more sermon audio, resources, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit CICKuwait.com. We'd love to hear from you. And then just before I bring the word, I've got a short video that I want to show you. And I was going to say this was a video of me. I hope it's not a video of you. Okay, let's watch. I am perfect. I know I am. I am perfect because I give and give of myself because I love without ceasing because I'm talented at everything because I'm good beyond all reason because I'm humble. Yes, very humble. Because when you look up perfect in the dictionary, you find a picture of me. And only a picture, because words can't even describe. And even a picture tries hard, but can never come close to the sheer majesty that I am. Ask me the problem, and I will figure it out. But don't beg to differ, because you probably should figure that because I'm the best, my way is the best possible way. I am structured to perform, my body carved, my abs of steel, and quite a good-looking face, if I do say so myself. I don't drink or smoke. I don't choose to blemish this perfectly formed body with an imperfect substance. I don't submit to peer pressure either. I mean, what would be the point of listening to imperfect people? I don't hit back, I turn the other cheek. I don't steal, lie, or get jealous. I mean, what would I be jealous of? I am perfect. I don't judge. I know everyone's already below me. And I don't rely on friends or family, for they aren't perfect, and they always let me down. But I, I am perfect. Or am I? You see, I give because it makes you look good. And of course I love. But I love myself most of all. And I've been given talent, but I only use that talent to raise myself higher. And I'm a good person because I was told being a good person makes more likable. And yes, I act humble, but it's just a show for others to see. I lie, I steal, I hit back, and I get jealous, especially people that know where they're going in life. First clear that I'm not perfect. Rather, when you look up imperfect in the dictionary, you see a scratch where I try to cover up the letters to my name. Here lies my problem. For so long, I've tried to be perfect. Thinking that the big man upstairs out told me something for my great life. But this is not the case. For it's when I think I am perfect. It's when I think I deserve something. That my pride destroys my ability to be without sin. So if the only way to be perfect makes me worship myself, then where does that leave me? It leaves me with the ability to do nothing, absolutely nothing, and like grace, do everything. All the things that I ever do mean nothing and do nothing. For the more I try, the more I raise myself and lower God. But the Father has given me a grace that bounds my selfish pride. So it's when He takes over. It's when I lower myself and raise Him. It's when I do absolutely nothing. It's when I'm wrapped in His grace, allowing Him to do everything that the I am makes me perfect. I hope none of you can relate to the first part of that video, but we all relate to the end of it because it is God's grace that makes us who we are and it's God's grace that allows us to be what we are. We're in the series on the book of Romans, Everybody Needs Grace. 
And today I want to share with you from Romans chapter 3, verse 21, and we're going to go through Romans chapter 5, verse 21. And I have titled this, Grace Never Ends. I found this picture, and I like it. It's as far as you go, God's grace is always before you. And you'll never get to the end of God's grace. The scripture even says that God's mercies are new every morning. Every day when you wake up, God's grace is there for you. And grace never ends. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 3. And I want to read um, starting in verse 21 to 31. It says, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Verse 27. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we, men, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. One of the things that we see is our salvation is by faith in Christ righteousness. I think Paul started off in this section with this, letting them know it's nothing that you have done. Because see, Paul realized there were Judaizers at this time running throughout the land telling people, you have to come back to the temple. You have to come back and take and do the feast. You have to do these things under the Jewish law, you have to fulfill the law to be righteous before God. But the whole book of Romans is talking about, no, it's by faith through grace. Our justification, our salvation is by faith in what Christ did, not what we could do. And then the foundation of salvation is God's grace. That's the whole foundation. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace which was toward me has not been without fruit. 
I labored more abundantly than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. See, salvation is outside of ourselves. There's nothing that you and I can do to be worthy of the salvation that was freely given as a gift of grace. All we can do is reach out and accept it as a free gift. And God's grace is given to us as a pardon. Somebody said the word grace, G-R-A-C-E, means God's riches at Christ's expense. Jesus paid the price, and you and I received a pardon from God for the sins that we deserved. I read a story of a man that was, he had committed murder, he was arrested, and he was tried and convicted of murder back in the early 1900s in America. And at that time, when you were um, tried and convicted of murder, the punishment was hanging. And this young man was ready to be hanged the next day. And that night, he was told that he had a visitor that had come to see him. And when he looked out the bars of his prison cell, he saw a man in a long black robe carrying a Bible. And he started shouting out to the jailer. He says, I don't want to see a preacher. Get him out of here. Religion has never helped me in my life, and religion won't help me now. So the man in the long black robe and the Bible walked up to the cell and looked deeply into that young man's eyes and turned around and walked off. The next morning as the hangman was putting the noose around the young man's neck, he said, sir, do you have any last request? And the man said, yes. He says, I was bothered all night. Who was that man in the black robe with the Bible that came to visit me? And the hangman said, son, that was the governor of this state. He came last night to give you a pardon. Today you will hang, not just because of your crime, but because you refused the one who could give you a pardon. And how many times do we as people turn our back on the one that could give us the pardon. Jesus died so that everyone could be saved. Everyone has a chance, but many of us turn our back on the one that could give us the pardon. And then Paul ends up here and says, we have no room to boast. He says, there's nothing we can do. I can't boast about the things that I did to earn my salvation. In the book of Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, Paul gives a list of all of the things that he could have boasted about. I think they're getting excited across the hall here. Philippians 3, 5 through 7, Paul says, I was circumcised the eighth day. 
I was of the stock of Israel and of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As regards the law, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Regarding the righteousness of the law, I am blameless. That's the beginning of that video we saw. That's Paul. I am perfect. No one has served God better than me. That was what Paul could have said. But he ended it this way. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted loss for Christ. See, you and I have nothing to boast in. That's why one of the first statements I made when I accepted to be the pastor of this church was, my first name is not pastor. I'm just Steve. I'm just like you and everybody else. Just like Paul, all of the apostles, because all of us come to Jesus in exactly the same way. Empty-handed, with nothing to offer. And we leave with everything. Jesus gave everything so I could gain everything. And then in chapter 4, um, Paul gives a test case for grace. Abraham is a test case for grace. In verses 1 through 12, it says that Abraham was justified by faith. You have to understand, this was before the law was given. This was before circumcision became the sign of the covenant. Abraham did not have to work for his salvation. It was a free gift. Let me ask you, Chester. If someone came up to you and gave you a villa somewhere and just handed you the keys and handed you the, the title deed to this big villa, would you then go to the bank and make a payment schedule so you could pay back this gift? No, you'd what? You'd enjoy it, right? You'd move in with your family. <laughs> you'd have a good time and you would just enjoy this gift that was given to you. But how many times do we as Christians accept this gift of salvation and then we try to pay God back? Oh, I've got to go to church every time the doors are open. Oh, I have to give and give and give. I have to read my Bible every day. I have to pray for an hour or five hours or whatever your standard is. And many times we try to pay back for a free gift that was given to us. No, he was justified by faith. There was nothing he could do to earn it. He received the promise by faith. Notice that it says in verse 13 through 22 that the promise did not come by the law, but by faith. Verse 16 says, It is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise may be for all. 
See, the promise wasn't just for Abraham. The promise was for all of us. We are all justified by faith. You know, we think, oh man, if I was Abraham, then everything would be fine. Read the story of Abraham's life. Not everything wasn't fine all the time. But he was still justified by faith, and he received the promise of the Son by faith. Verse 18, Abraham had hope in God's grace and believed when things looked impossible. He was beyond the age of having children. His wife was beyond the age of having children. But he still, by faith, received the promise. Because verse 19 says he did not look at his own circumstance. He didn't consider his own body. But in verse 20, he gave God glory even while he waited. And here's the key. Verse 21 says he was fully convinced that what God promised, God was able to do. But see, we, um, especially Americans, some of you maybe not as much as Americans, we love everything instant right now. If you can make it, we've got it instant somehow. Doesn't always taste real good, but it's quick. I mean, we go to the drive-thru in McDonald's and we make our order and we pay. And by the time we get to the next window, we're complaining if they're not handing the bag out the window as soon as we come by. Remember the first furlough that my family did when we were in Africa? We were in Switzerland, I think. I can't remember where we went. But our church had a retreat for all of the missionaries. And we went, and it was wonderful. All of the meals took about two hours because it was a full four-course or five-course meal. You know, they'd bring out an appetizer, and you'd talk and eat, and then they'd bring out the soup, and you'd talk and you'd eat. And I remember the second meal, all the Americans mainly were going man, I wish this thing would hurry up so we could get out of here and go see the sights and things. But see, that long time that was a place where we could get to know one another, sitting around and talking over a meal. We don't need everything instant all the time. Even when we are waiting for God to fulfill the promise, we need to glorify him. And don't look at your circumstances. I've used the illustration before with the coin. What's bigger, a coin or the sun? Most people say the sun, but it depends on perspective because if you put the coin right in front of your eye, it blocks out the sun. So what's bigger, your God or your problem? Depends on perspective. If all you look at is your problem, then your problem blocks out God and becomes bigger than your God. So it says he received the promise by faith. And then also, this is an example for us. It wasn't just for Abraham, but this is an example for all of us. Every person who believes in God and trusts in Jesus receives 
salvation is justified by faith. I want to give you a warning here, though. Trust in God. Don't trust in faith. Let me explain that. There is a section of the church that trust in their faith. If you have faith, you can do anything. No, if you have God, you can do anything. If you have faith in God, then you can do those things. But we have come almost to the place to where we trust in faith more than we trust in God. We trust if we do these things that are supposed to, supposedly to make us men and women of faith, then God has to give us what we asked for because we did what we were supposed to do. It's almost like we've turned God into a heavenly Santa Claus or a, I don't know, a vending machine. I had a video where a guy walks up to the vending machine and he looks, oh, today I need faith or today I need healing or whatever. And then it tells him what it's going to cost him to get those things. It doesn't cost us anything. There's nothing we can do to please God other than obey what he says in his word. So this promise is for all of us. And trust in God no matter what happens. I pray for Dell and Leanna and their family all the time to get through this situation they're in. But every time I pray, I leave encouraged because they are glorifying God in the midst of the wait for God to do something. An example of integrity and what we're supposed to do for God that even while they're not seeing it, they're still waiting, still glorifying God, still doing the things of God, not giving up, not complaining that I hear. I'm sure in private there's some complaining. Well, how many of you know we're all human? Just tell God what you think because he knows anyway. Trust God no matter what happens. A couple of weeks ago, I told you the story of the young man in Kenya that refused to take bribes and he was about to lose his job because of the bribery scheme in Kenya. But he stood for the word of God. He says, even if I lose my job, I'm going to stand for what is right. And it ended up because of his stance for righteousness, his boss ended up getting saved. No matter what happens, stand for God. And then chapter 5, it says that grace is a free gift. We stand by grace. Verses 1 through 5. In the midst of tribulation, it says stand in grace. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 13 and 14 says, When you have done everything that you can do to stand, just stand. Gird in the armor of God. My pastor back home says, Don't 
turn around and run from the devil because God hasn't equipped you with any backup lights. So don't back away from the enemy. Don't back away from things that are coming against you because there is no armor for the back. Come here, Chester. I'm, I'm, you're, you're, you're a good illustration today. Turn, turn that way. See, the reason God didn't give us armor on the back, it talks about the breastplate of righteousness, but nothing in the back. Because one, he doesn't want us turning our back on the enemy. And two, he has designed us to fight two by two. Jesus always sent them out two by two. And when we go out together, I cover my brother's back, he covers my back, and together we are more victorious than if we go out on our own. Thank you, bro. You, I want you at my back in any fight. <laughs> Especially with the devil. Amen. So we are to stand regardless of what happens. And we are amazed by grace. If I had thought of this sooner, I would have had you guys sing Amazing Grace. Think about the amazing grace of God. Verses 6 through 8 says, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Let me see a show of hands. How many of you at one time were ungodly? <laughs> Amen. I'm not going to ask you how many are still ungodly. Hopefully we have that happens from time to time, but mostly we are godly now. It says that for secretly for a righteous man will one die, or for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, some would, would even dare to die. Verse 8, listen to this. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We are amazed by this grace of God. That he loved me so much that even when I was his enemy, when I was against him, he gave everything so that I may have eternal life. Amazing grace. I hope by the end of this series in the book of Romans, you are overwhelmed by the grace of God. Verses 9 through 11 says that grace gives us a future. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. See, Jesus died for the sinners, not for the self-righteous. Luke chapter 18, verses 10 through 14, gives us the story of the Pharisee and the publican. You remember the story? These two men go to the temple to pray, and the, the publicans over here won't even say a word. The Pharisee, the religious man, is praying, Oh God, you know how good I am. He's, he's praying like the young man at the beginning of the video. Oh God, you know I'm perfect. 
I pay tithes of everything. I go to synagogue every Saturday. I do everything. Oh, God, you know I'm perfect. And, God, you know I'm not like this sinner over here. The Bible says the sinner was praying, and he didn't even, wouldn't even look up to heaven. He just said, God, forgive me. I'm a sinner. The Bible says that that day when they left the temple, the sinner was the one that left justified, not the self-righteous Pharisee. So Jesus died and grace gives us a future. See, it's not for the unrighteous. It's not for the person that thinks they have it all together, or it's not for the righteous, excuse me, or the person that thinks they have it all together, but it's the person that knows where they came from. Never forget where you came from. Now, don't always look back. We have a lot of problems when we always look back to how it used to be. I've said many times it's very hard to drive your car when you're always looking in the rearview mirror. You have to look forward. That's why you have this huge windscreen in front of you as you drive so you can see way down the road what's going on. Please look out the window and not at your iPhone, okay? Dell, great talent today. I didn't realize you could play an iPhone that well. Oh, one, oh, play the game. Okay, wonder. I thought you were playing music there. <laughs> Grace gives us a future. See, we were justified by his death, but we live by his life. Galatians 2.20 says that we no longer live. We're crucified with him, and the life that we now live, we live by faith in the Son of God. So it's the life of Jesus that allows us to live. And we have eternal life by that grace. These scriptures from verses 12 to 21 talks about that through one man, sin entered into the world. Sin did not enter into the world through Eve. Ladies, you can say amen. Sin entered into the world through Adam. Okay, guys, we have to take the responsibility for this. We can't blame our wives. It's us. Man did it. But it also says by one man, Jesus Christ, grace came in to the world. Sin and death by Adam, grace and life by Christ Jesus. And I've got some good news for you today. The influence of grace always triumphs over the influence of sin. The scripture says where grace or where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. You can try this sometime at home. In the middle of the night, turn off all the lights and light one match and see which is more powerful, the light from the match or the darkness. 
light always overcomes darkness. I remember when I was in the military, they showed us a exercise or a demonstration of why it was so dangerous to smoke at night on the battlefield. We had a guy about one kilometer away sitting on top of a bunker, and we were all back here looking pitch black. He couldn't see anything, and he lights a cigarette. And from a kilometer away, you could see the flame of the cigarette lighter. You knew exactly where he was. Put out the cigarette lighter, and every time he would inhale, you could see a red glow from a kilometer away because light is more powerful than darkness. What is the thing on the wall in your house? Is it called a light switch or a darkness switch? So when you want it dark at night in your bedroom, do you turn on the darkness or do you have to turn off the light? Okay? See, that's you and I are called the light of the world. By God's grace, we have been justified by faith. We have been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. We are the light of this world, and we can overcome any darkness that comes around us. But what it doesn't happen today, what do we do? We stand. We give God the glory while we're waiting for him to fulfill the promise, even when it looks impossible. And I want to close with this. God is the God of the impossible. The Bible says with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. One of the things that Kath and I do when we're praying about a new ministry or a new adventure with God, we ask this question, is it impossible? And if the answer is yes, then normally that means it's God. Because if it's impossible, we can't do it without his help. Can we start a new church in Kuwait with 15 people and within a couple of months be able to hire two pastors? That is impossible. You ask any church planner anywhere in the world, you go to any conference and they will tell you, you cannot afford to hire staff in a new church plant for at least a year. Do you hear what I said? Yet, Crossroad International Church, nine months old, in six days, I think you started December 15th, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere around there, nine months old, ten months old, and already look at the facility that we're able to rent, the equipment we've been able to get, you have two full-time pastors, because God is the God of the impossible. And if God can do that for us, that boss, that supervisor, that neighbor, that relative, 
that you think there is no way they can ever come to know Jesus, they can. And God may want to use you. Is it impossible? That's a time for God to work. It was impossible for Rashti to get her visa, to get her passport, to get the stamps, get everything they needed in two days to fly to India to get everything ready for the wedding. But she said, I've got it on my phone and my WhatsApp. Pastor, we saw a miracle before our eyes. I have my passport. He is a God of the impossible. So as we pray, I want you just to think about a situation in your life that you think is impossible. I remember a lady at our church back home. Her husband was an alcoholic and abusive and everybody told her to leave him. And for 20-something years, she prayed every day for God to save him. And then he got saved and then he got ordained. And I remember the day he was standing in the pulpit when he was ordained as an evangelist. And he says, I know I'm changed. He says, I gave my heart to Jesus three years ago. And in those three years, I haven't hit my wife once. And she stood up in the back and said, amen. Hallelujah. An impossible situation. God turned it around after 20-something years. So if you're in that place of waiting, just give God the glory and keep standing. Because God is a God of the impossible, and he will bring it to pass in his timing. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We just thank you for this time. We ask your blessings upon your word. Father, we thank you that your grace never ends. That we have an abundant supply of endless grace. And Father, I lift up your people today that are in this place and we ask that you would be with them and touch them and bless them. Father, let every one of us experience your grace. I just want to ask while all of us are praying, is there anybody here you've got an impossible situation that you're facing right now and you would like me to agree with you in prayer if you just slip your hand up real quick. Amen. Amen. Father, you see these hands. We've studied today that there's nothing that we can do in ourselves to earn your grace. It's a free gift. The salvation that you've given to us was freely given and we have accepted it. Father, help these that are facing impossible situations like Abraham. He has a promise that you've given him of a son, that he will be the father of many nations, but yet he's beyond the years of having children, and his wife is beyond the ability to have children. But yes, he has, yet he has this promise before him. And he glorified you as he waited because he was confident. He was fully assured that what you promise you can do. So, Father, I lift up every one of my brothers and sisters that raised their hand today. And we ask that you would step in as only you can do.
and that you would make yourself known in this situation and that you would work a miracle for them because, Father, you love impossible situations to where you can show off to the world your mighty power. And Father, I just ask right now that you would do a great work in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.